The Big Wake Up by Mark Coggins is what you hope every private eye novel will be, says Edgar Award-winning author Megan Abbott. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Chapter 15, I in the Air Now that Chris said it, I had to admit that the body in the coffin did look like the pictures I remembered of Evita. I let myself consider the idea for just a moment. Then I shook my head. That can't be right. How can Evita be in a hole in the ground in Colma, California? And how can she be so, so well-preserved? She died in the 50s. Chris gripped the edge of the coffin. I don't remember the details, but I remember reading a fantastic story about how her body was specially preserved after her death and how it became a sort of political football between the military leaders who kicked out Perón and the people who still supported him. She wasn't buried right away. I remember that. Not being buried right away and being buried in coma... After a detour in Milan, Italy, I might add, are two different things. Why else would all these people be fighting over the body? You said Molina's father is a Peronist, and that Isis mocked you when you explained his reason for hiring you. Think about it. It has to be Evita. If it has to be Evita, then why is there a dead guy hanging from that hoist? What do you mean? I'm 99% sure Isis is the one who tortured him. So? So what was the point? Not to learn the body's location. It was right here on the table. Chris glanced towards the hoist, then pressed the back of his arm to his forehead. It looked like a pantomime from a silent movie and would have been comic except for the circumstances. From what you told me about Isis, he said in a trembly voice, she may have done it for fun. Granted, but after having located the coffin, she wouldn't have left it here. She would have taken it with her, or waited to kill Maximo and then taken the coffin. She didn't do either of those things. Maybe it wasn't Evita she was after. Maybe there was something buried with Evita that she took instead, like a piece of jewelry. I watched as he reached a tentative hand into the coffin and laid it down on the satin pillow beside the corpse's head. Slowly, With much squinching of the eyes, he slid his finger under her neck. What are you doing? I'm checking to see if there's an indentation from a necklace. I figure if it was pressed into her skin for 30-plus years, it would leave a mark. Suddenly, his eyes went wide and he yanked his hand out, gripping it with his other hand in the middle of his stomach. August, that's not skin. Of course it is. A little leathery, maybe, but definitely in the skin family. No, it's not. It's something synthetic. See for yourself. I fought off visions of my great aunt and reached down to touch the corpse's arm. Chris was right. The skin, while soft and pliant, had a rubbery silicon feel to it. I gripped one of the wrists and tried to lift it. The wrist and the arm came up from the torso, but not in a natural way. It's some kind of mannequin, I said, surprised in spite of myself. I was due to be even more surprised. The door to the warehouse slammed open behind us. 
For the second time in as many days, I'd been broken in on. Chris yelped, and I reached for my Glock, but three guns were already drawn and pointing our way by the time I spun around. Put the gun in the casket, Reardon. The man speaking was tall and stooped, and as white as a tub of spackling paste. He had what I was learning to recognize as an Argentinian accent. His slick-back hair had obviously been dyed black, and his drooping eyelids gave him a reptilian appearance. Standing to his left with a 9mm automatic was Maximo. Red streaks from his earlier tears still shone on his face, and he did not look happy to see me. Something about the two men on the speaker's right made it easy to guess their background. To borrow an expression used about the KGB in the old Soviet Union, they were, quote, men with identical shoes, unquote, coming either from the military or law enforcement. In addition to the shoes, they sported a pair of identical 9mm pistols. Knowing they would want it that way, I gripped the Glock by the trigger guard and lowered it into the coffin. The tall guy with the reptilian eyes waved to the men on his right, and they moved to pat us down. They found the knife on my calf and retrieved the Glock from the coffin, passing them to Snake Eyes. As he and Maximo came up to where we were standing, he slipped both in his pockets. We all stared at each other without speaking. Maximo's glare contained anger and contempt. The military duo, a professional menace and snake eyes, a kind of hooded curiosity. I thought back to something Isis had said in my apartment about not finding the brass ring. I hadn't understood what she meant at the time, but if Chris was right, and the objective was recovery of Evita's body, the unearthing of a fake Evita would go a long way towards explaining her comment and what had happened here. I decided I had better get out in front of things, before things got out in front of me. How much to find the real one, I blurted. What are you talking about? Said Snake Eyes. How much will you pay me to help you find the real Evita? I still hadn't quite convinced myself that Chris was right, but now was the moment of truth. Snake Eyes looked over at Maximo, who shook his head no. We don't need your help. Is that right? The way you two were glued on my ass yesterday, I thought I was giving driving lessons. Maximo made no response, but Snake Eyes frowned and asked him a question in Spanish. Maximo gave a grudging answer, which prompted a back and forth that lasted more than a minute, with Snake Eyes spewing forth a full paragraph of coldly toned invective at the end. Way to stir up the hornet's nest, whispered Chris. Eventually, Snake Eyes turned his hooded gaze back to me. Do not trifle with us. Maximo has lost a brother and I a grandson. He also lost a girlfriend, but he didn't seem too broken up about that. Maximo edged forward, but Grandpa put an arm out to check his forward progress. She wasn't my girlfriend, asshole, said Maximo, punctuating his words with thrusts of the automatic. We stopped seeing each other months ago. You have to wonder why you were seeing each other in the first place. It wouldn't have been to keep tabs on Rivera's daughter, would it? Or maybe even to find out if she knew where Evita was buried. Which brings up an interesting point, Reardon, said Grandpa. You offered your services to find Evita, but it's apparent you were working for Rivero. 
Exactly whose side are you on? My own. Why am I not surprised? Everything in America is for sale, including the people. And there are other bidders. Oh, yes. Who exactly? I inclined my head towards Maximo's dead brother and traced an eye in the air. Grandpa laughed, and it was not a pleasant sound, more a phlegmy wheeze than an expression of levity. Isis does not employ people. She uses them. Maybe so. But will it matter if I locate Avita for her instead of you? You seem very confident of your abilities. Do you already know the location of the grave? No. There is another hoist over here, and you have thoughtfully provided a knife. If we were to present you, or perhaps more efficaciously your odd little friend, the same motivation to talk that Isis presented my grandson, I wonder if your answer would change. I heard Chris breathe in sharply at his mention. Grandpa was a cold-blooded bastard, all right. But something was palpably different between him, his team, and Isis and her crew. I didn't get the same feeling of pura malidad, as Molina had phrased it, from them as I did with Isis. I wasn't going to let him intimidate me. The answer would still be the same, and my motivation to help you would be zero. You aren't holding many cards here. You're in a foreign country. You've committed grave robbery. You're illegally armed. You have a dead body on what I'm guessing is family property and you're engaged in an activity that could easily blow up into an international incident between the U.S. and Argentina. If you don't get the help of a competent local like me, there's no chance of you getting Evita's body back to Buenos Aires. Grandpa rubbed his long, heavily veined hands together, fighting the chill in the warehouse, or his impatience. I wasn't sure which. Bravely spoken, he said. But all you've done is flaunt your ignorance. What do you mean? If I told you what I mean, you wouldn't be ignorant any longer, and there is no advantage to me in that. Earlier, you asked how much we would pay you to locate Evita. I am not prepared to name a sum. How much do you ask? Here was a loaded question. The figure had to be large enough that he took me seriously, and not so large that he balked completely. Half a million, I said, trying to hold my voice steady. Maximo snorted and spat a string of Spanish at Grandpa. He listened with obvious forbearance, shaking his head and holding his lips pressed tight as Maximo spoke. My grandson says you are a worthless buffoon, and we ought to kill both you and your friend. There is some merit to what he says, but I think worthless is too harsh a judgment. I will pay you $100,000, subject to some conditions. I looked over at Chris who, rather than playing it cool, just about nodded his head off. I guess we're taking it, I said. But what are the conditions? No money until delivery. You report to me daily. If and when you locate the grave, you take no action, except to inform me immediately. And you put your right hand in the pool of blood, this instant. Before I could respond, Grandpa barked a command in Spanish. The goon on his immediate right strode forward to put Chris in a headlock, grinding the barrel of an automatic into Chris's temple. Grandpa retrieved my Glock from his pocket, removed the magazine, and ejected the shell in the chamber. Put your hand in the blood, Reardon. I'm serious. 
Chris's eyes were bulging out, and judging from the pale horror that shone in his face, was in a state beyond terrified. Grandpa nodded at the blood. I stepped over to the edge of the pool, squatted down, and placed my hand just above the surface. It was starting to clot, and the color had gone from bright red to a greasy crimson black. I dabbed the heel of my palm into it. Put it all the way down, Reardon. Completely coat your fingers and palm. I grit my teeth and mashed my hand fully into the blood. It was cool and viscous like motor oil, and the tang of iron wafted from it. As I brought my hand out, fat drops rained down, and I had to hold it well away from my body so as not to drip it on my clothing or shoes. I stood and turned back to Grandpa. Happy now? I asked. Not yet. He held my Glock out by the barrel. Take hold of your gun. With Maximo and the other soldier keeping their 9mm trained on my torso, I came up to Grandpa and took the Glock in my bloodied hand. I had long ago figured out what he was up to, and I tried to keep from leaving too clear a print, but he was having none of it. Squeeze the grip hard and put your finger on the trigger. I did as I was told, and he released the barrel of the gun. Put it on the table next to the coffin, and then we'll do the knife. I walked the gun over to the table and came back. Grandpa took the knife from his pocket and held it by the sheath so that only the handle was visible. I want a clear print on the handle, Reardon. But if you even pull it a millimeter from the scabbard, you and your friend will be dead before the blade clears the leather. I stared him in the eye while I wrapped my fingers around the handle and gave it a good squeeze. Much of the blood had come off on the Glock, but there was enough remaining that I could see a portion of my palm print on the rubber grip when I took my hand away. Grandpa passed the knife to Maximo. That is insurance. If you betray me, or fail in any way to keep my interest foremost while you look for Evita, I will see to it that the authorities receive both items. I'm sure either of them in the right context would be enough to convict you for the murder of my grandson, especially after we put a round from your gun in the body. Yeah, I figured that's what you had in mind. I've got to hand it to you, though. Not many men could pull that little stunt with a family member. Mr. Mr. Velas, am I right in assuming that's who I'm working for? He drew himself up to his full height, erasing the stoop and thrusting his bony chest forward. It's General Gaston Vilas. That's who you're working for. Forget it at your peril. You have been listening to The Big Wake Up a book Publishers Weekly described as outstanding in a starred review. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. <laughs>